Amen. Thanks, Ken. Good morning, church. I know who the Cowboys fans are now. I see you. I see you. And the ones who will be speeding out of the parking lot after the next service. So good to, good to be with you. Glad you're here. Uh, We're going to be in Ephesians 6. So as you turn there in your Bible, I uh, just want to make a quick announcement. We have uh, coming up pretty soon our chili cook-off. This is something we do every year uh, last Sunday in um, October. And really, it's, it's chili and dessert cook-off now, just to be clear. Um, if you've been before, you kind of know what we're talking about, and some of you have already started working on your chili recipes, and so I already know it's on your radar. Um, just a couple things. One, if you plan on attending and bringing something to enter, like a chili or dessert, you need to register so we can know that you're coming and, and prepare for that. Um, if you just plan on uh, attending and consuming, like me, just show up. You don't need to register for that. Um, but we will need to know about your, your chili and your dessert if you, if you do plan on uh, competing in that. So it's always a fun time. What, the way it works, in case you haven't been here, we have services as normal. Then after the 11 o'clock service, um, we, as we dismiss, we roll right into lunch together. So if you come to this service on that particular Sunday, um, you can hang around. You could volunteer to serve somewhere. You head home and come back. Either way, um, really want to invite the whole church to come be a part of that day. It's a great time together. Um, so that's coming up last Sunday in... October. That'll also be a family worship Sunday. So if you've got kiddos, students, they'll be with us in the services that day. All right, Ephesians chapter 6. We're uh, essentially going to wrap up the series today. Um, several things get covered here in the end of Ephesians. Um, we're mainly going to focus on this section that's referred to as the armor of God or the whole armor of God. Um, there'll be a couple things that happen in the, in the text after that that we won't have time to get to today. Um, we're going to wrap up the series looking at um, this call from, from God through Paul for us to now stand. Okay, it's this command to stand. And we'll start in um, verses, verse 10. Let's read this together. Um, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places so we'll stop here for a minute and talk through really where where paul's taking us today um, there's this command and it's actually a passive command so it's, it's we have to think about what does this mean to be something be strong, okay? It's an, it's an imperative here. It's a command to be something. And you think about, well, how do I, that's a passive command. How do I be something, right? And so one way to think about this is maybe think about the command to be baptized. So how do you obey that command since you can't baptize yourself? Well, that doesn't mean that you don't have a part in that, right? There's the idea, I need to be baptized by somebody else so think of it that way this command to be strong I'm going to need somebody besides myself to help me be strong um, but there's also like in baptism there's still a part for you right to to position yourself to pursue it to make yourself available so that you can be baptized right and in a more simpler way just think about the command to be wet how do you be wet? Well, you have to position yourself where there's water. You can't 
just make yourself wet. You have to be around water, and then you have to do more than that. You have to position yourself, whether it's rain or the shower or the bathtub or the baptistry, to actually be wet. And so that's the command here, to be strong. We're gonna, you're going to need something outside of yourself to be this, and there's something for you to pursue in this passage. We're commanded to be strong. So he tells us to be strong in something. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now there are really three words here that imply power or strength. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. There's three different Greek words here implying this idea of of strength. What's interesting is really... Almost everything that Paul's going to mention in in what we're covering today, he's already taught us about previously in his letter. This is actually, in a summary of this whole, put on the whole armor God, is a reference back to things he's already said. And he actually prayed this for us in Ephesians 1. If you look at verse 19, Paul is praying for the church. He's praying that her eyes would be open to this knowledge, this wisdom of God. And in verse 19, he's praying, he says, and that you would know and I would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the work of his great might. So all three of those words show up here in Paul's prayer for us. And then he tells us about this power, this great might. Verse 20 says, this is the same power, the same might, the same strength that he worked in Christ. So when did God the Father, right, work this power in Christ? When he was raised, or when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So you think about Christ here, right, this this passive command from the Father to be resurrected. How do you do that if you're dead? You need the Father to resurrect you, yet you have a part in that, right? So the same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that Paul is commanding us to be strong in. We think about the ascension. That's what else is referred to here, this idea that Christ ascended back to his rightful place at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places. How do you be ascended? Well, he positioned himself for the Father's power, right, to cause him to ascend. And so this is now being commanded of us that in the same way Christ positioned himself in the power of the Father, that you and I would position ourselves to be strong in the power of his might, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and caused him to be ascended back to his rightful place in heaven. What's interesting is if you go back and reflect over the letter of Ephesians and you start looking for these indicative descriptions of who we are and then you also look for all the commands that were given, you see this really beautiful picture coming to light of what, what it means to be strong in the power of Christ. Let me just read for you. Um, we, are, we are described as being in Christ 13 times in this letter. You, either in him or in Christ, describing you and me, that we're in him. Uh, additionally, another 10 times, a total of 23 times, 
So 13 times in Christ, 10 times in him, 23 times in six chapters. You and I are described. This is who we are. This is our position. We are in Christ. Here's some more just promises that come from the book of Ephesians. Because see, what Paul's calling us to in Ephesians 6 is to stand strong and to be strong in this power that is already at work in us. To be strong in what we already have from Christ. So as a Christian, whatever he's commanding me to, I don't need something that I don't already have. So I'm not going to stop at the end of the sermon today and pray for something that I don't have. I need to stand strong in something that I already do have. And here are some of those things. God has already, according to Ephesians 1, chose us in him that we should be holy and blameless before him. God has already predestined us for adoption as sons. God has already blessed us in the beloved. God has already given us redemption. God has already lavished upon us the forgiveness of our sins in him. God has already given us an inheritance. God has already sealed us with the promised Holy Spirit. God has already made us alive together with Christ. God has already raised us up with him and God has already seated us with him in the heavenly places. Those are just quotes from Ephesians. I only made it through the first two chapters. And we also get instructions, commands to position ourselves. Here's some of those. We're told in Ephesians 1 to hear the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believe in him. I don't save myself, so how can I get saved? I position myself to hear this gospel, this word of truth, and then my response to that is what? To believe. We're told to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. Here's what it looks like with humility, gentleness, and patience. We're told, bear with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity, the spirit, and the bond of peace. We're commanded to put off the old self and put on the new self. Created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness, we're commanded to imitate God as beloved children and therefore walk in love. And so now here in Ephesians 6, we receive these final instructions, this final command to be, to be strong. And after that, he's going to follow it up with how we position ourselves in the strength is this. He says, take up, put on this whole armor of God. The imagery here is is the idea of everything that a soldier would put on going into battle. It was the complete set of gear. And that's why Paul walks through all these sorts of things. So I was thinking about like baseball. I coach baseball and at different games we wear different jerseys and socks and pieces of the uniform. And so at least the night before all the moms are like, hey, what are we wearing tomorrow? I need to know. Which socks, which pants, which belt, which jersey, which hat? Because it it changes, right? The whole kit. You can't just get one part right, right? You won't look like the rest of the team. You need to get it all right. And so the, the idea of the whole armor here is a Greek word that refers to the whole set of gear. Put on this whole armor. So that might mean then that as Christians at times, and maybe you're here today, you're just putting on part of it. You got the socks right, but the jersey's wrong. You forgot the hat. 
So the idea isn't, here's a few things to help you get through difficult times. The command is, no, to, to be strong, you need to put on the whole armor. You need to be mindful of and think about, what, have, what am I missing right now? What's missing from my life in this moment? So now we're going to step into um, more of the demonic part of this passage. And before we do, I just want to kind of give um, some, some help to us here. This passage of Scripture in the church is, you know, one of those that oftentimes gets misinterpreted, misrepresented, and then misapplied. Um, the idea here that there's a spiritual battle, and we'll dig further into it in a minute, sometimes in a church setting, um, the church, church will completely just ignore this part of the Scripture. You may have been involved in a church or been grown up, grown up in a church where, where spiritual warfare or the idea that, that demonic forces are working against you is never talked about. And we just focus on Jesus and what he did, and we don't realize that what Jesus was doing, he was overcoming sin and death, and he was displaying victory over the devil. And right, there is a demonic presence in the world we live in. And so there will be those who just completely ignore this type of counsel, this type of instruction, but then there will be those who like kind of over-romanticize it in, in a demonic way, and everything is the devil that's unpleasant. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I drank some coffee from Starbucks and it burned my lip and now I need to cast the devil out of my coffee. No, you just need to wait for your coffee to cool off. You know, you're having a rough day, you get pulled over and you get a speeding ticket. Oh, the devil's just working against me. No, you actually just need to slow down. Turns out it wasn't the devil, that was, that was you. Now that we're gonna talk, there is this demonic presence in the world around us working against us, seeking to, to destroy our lives. That's true, but not everything that is unpleasant is the devil. Unfortunately, though, that's how this passage tends to get handled, either not at all or over the top. And so when we handle it not at all, what we do, we encounter these spiritual battles and we have no bearings. We don't understand what to do. And it's like, oh, did God forget me? Does God not love me anymore? Why is this thing happening? And those who over, maybe over the top respond like the devil's responsible for everything. Right? And, and what we're going to see here is while there is a true spiritual battle happening, the counsel we're given is not to go around exercising demons out of coffee and out of the police officer and the ticket and everything unpleasant, but the counsel has actually already been given to us in the book of Ephesians. He's telling us about this spiritual battle saying, now you, you have all the tools. You already have them in Christ. So with all these tools, this whole armor now stand. So let's talk about this. Uh, Paul says that our battle here, our wrestling, is not against flesh and blood, but against demonic forces, evil forces. This word wrestle um, was a description of two opponents going at each other. So in the first century, if this word was used, it was used to describe a match between two opponents that didn't end until one had the other pinned on the mat with his or her hand on their throat. Okay, that's the kind of wrestling match that's being described here. And so I will refer to this sometimes in marriage counseling when a couple comes in and they're just really at each other. They're just wounded and hurt so bad that their perception is that this person is my enemy. And they may not say those words, but that's how they describe each other. And they, hey, before we go any further, can we just identify who the real enemy is here? I know you've been wounded by him and you've been wounded by her and it feels like they're 
out to pin you to the mat, (laughs) and maybe they have in some ways, but the real author of this evil, the real enemy you're wrestling against is the devil himself. And I get it. It's playing out in physical, like the physical realm. You can see it. You can see that, feel that kind of tearing apart from one another. But there's an author behind it who is actually wrestling with you. And his desire, according to John 10, is this, that the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And Jesus follows that up with his intent is what? I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus hasn't come to pin you to the mat and put his hand on your throat. He's come to set you free, to rescue, to pull you up off the mat and to breathe life. But his enemy, the devil, is your enemy and he is wrestling with you. And his desire isn't to just have fun and kind of tussle with you. He desires to still kill and destroy and pin you to the ground and put his hand on your throat. And this is who we're wrestling against. The devil is wrestling with you in circumstances. Yeah. I'm not saying he's the author of everything that happens that is unpleasant, but he's going to try to use everything unpleasant against you. There are times where God and his providence and kindness towards us allows the enemy to move and to influence and impact our lives. You see that in the story of Job. It doesn't make God any less good or sovereign. And sometimes things just happen and they're a struggle and Paul refers to his struggle as a thorn in the flesh in one particular place. Okay, and so what we're, we're talking about here is this idea that whether Satan is authoring it causing it to happen or he's just capitalizing on something rough going on in your life either way he's attempting to use that against you you may get fired from work for poor poor performance and not meeting your end of the deal and maybe you deserve to get fired from work but guess what the enemy's gonna do he's gonna jump on that and so while you may have responsibility in that situation he's gonna use it against you He's going to take those circumstances and attempt to pin you to the mat. Relationally, relationally, he's attempting to create hurt, division, and separation between you and others. Once again, you may be in a a place of like division or tension with your spouse, and it's because of something they said or you said and did, and so you have responsibility in that. But, but make no mistake, the enemy is right there attempting to use what you said and what she did to like divide you, circumstantially, relationally, and individually, to create confusion and shame in you about who you are and to convince you that if anybody really knew the truth, they wouldn't love you and they wouldn't accept you. So when you make mistakes, you may have authored those mistakes. Maybe, maybe you've sinned against somebody, you really hurt somebody, and that's on you, but guess what the enemy's doing? He's gonna use that to heap up shame and guilt and try to convince you if they really knew, those people at church really knew, if God really knew, there's no way he would love you and accept you. He cast you out. And so while the circumstances may be the result of your own hands or somebody else's doing, make no mistake. The devil is prowling, 
looking for an opportunity to take something in your life that's hard and use it to pin you to the mat. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. But it is against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. As I read that, I'm just reminded that we live in a present darkness. We talk about this in our our counseling ministry. You're born both with a sin nature and in a fallen world, which means that you're going to encounter from the moment that you're born into this world and even before in the womb, you're going to encounter this this fallenness. So you're going to to experience sin and you're going to commit sin. Your fallen sin nature Right, you're going to commit sin out of that. And guess what else? You're going to also experience is suffering because you're living in this present darkness, this fallen world. That's what Paul's describing here. You will experience sin and suffering. And so we go, okay, I, I'm starting to get my, my mind wrapped around this, Paul. So I see all these people. My battle's not against them, even though there will be conflict with them and we'll have hard things and circumstances may not always go my way. You're telling me there's, there's a force behind that. Yes, there's a force using that, trying to capitalize on it. So then I need to respond to that then by what? I need to go on a witch hunt? I need to go around looking for demons and like everything that's unpleasant. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. I've already given you the counsel of what you need to do. I'm not calling you to something I haven't already talked to you about. I'm calling you to stand firm in what you already have. That's how you combat that. That's how you stand against the forces of evil. If you're going to do anything different, take some inventory and make sure you're putting on the whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand. This is verse 13. In the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Verse 14 begins, stand therefore. So now he's going to tell us how to stand and what the whole armor of God is. He says, first of all, having fastened the belt of truth. Paul's already talked to us a lot about truth in his letter. Uh, Ephesians 4, verse 15, he says this, rather, so rather than, he's just talked about how our lives get tossed about like kind of like a small boat out on the ocean with no, no rudder, no anchor, when something happens and we don't have the truth of God anchoring us he said so rather than that here's what I want you to do I want you to speak the truth in love and we are to grow up into every into him who is the head into Christ by speaking what is true and then right after that in verse 24 he says therefore having put away falsehood that which is not true let each one speak the truth with his neighbor we are all members of one another. In different ways that we apply this, we start with the truth of scriptures. Here's the anchor that doesn't change. It's the same word. What we're reading here is supernaturally written and inspired by God himself through the minds and hearts and hands of human authors. It's without error. It's powerful. And it's true. It's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And so we have this truth that we can anchor our lives to. 
And because of that, then, we can tell the truth about our circumstances, and we can tell the truth about ourselves. I don't have to convince you that things are fine. I don't have to pretend that something happened a different way. When I recount circumstances to you, I can be honest about it. I can put away falsehood, and I can tell you the truth. Kids in the room, that's what your parents want from you, right, parents? Just tell me the truth. So much harder to parent when I'm trying to guess or figure something out. If you'll just be honest, things are so much easier on both of us. So we have the truth of God's word, and when we have this idea, because our lives are anchored there, I can tell you the truth about a circumstance. I'm getting the... I use the, the marriage one often. I think it's helpful. Um, like, if my wife and I get in an argument and I say something that's hateful or mean and it hurts her, afterwards, it, I don't say I didn't mean to because that's not true. If I'm being mean, I'm meaning to be mean. So I tell the truth because I'm, my, my life is anchored here. I can tell the truth. You say, no, I really meant to hurt you, and I want you to forgive me for that. Truth about the circumstances, and I can also tell the truth about what's going on in me. I'm scared. I'm sad. I'm angry. I'm having a bad day. I don't have to tell you everything's fine when it's not. I don't tell you all these rough things going on in my life, and then I go, oh, but I'm good because that's what I'm supposed to say. No, I can tell the truth because my life is anchored in truth. Speak the truth in love. And here he says, having fastened the belt of truth. It's part of our armor to stand in that truth. Secondly, here's what he mentions. He says this, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. What I don't want to do is get too caught up in where these different pieces of armor connect to the body. If you do that, some of this is going to not make sense because I don't think that's what Paul meant. He's just using a description of armor and he's pulling these things out and he's pointing to spiritual realities. What is this breastplate of righteousness? Yes, it's the idea of guarding the heart, but I don't know that that's exactly everything he means. When we talk about this righteousness, what we're talking about is what Jesus has given to you that you couldn't earn for yourself. God says you don't get into heaven unless you're perfectly righteous. Okay, so if he doesn't do something to fix that, we might as well shut, shut down the lights and go get ready for the Cowboys game. I don't know you, but I know you're not perfectly righteous. So how do I get into heaven? Why are we doing church if I can't get into heaven, if I'm not perfectly righteous? Well, here's how. Through my faith in Christ, he makes me perfectly righteous and gives me that righteousness as a gift. Everything mentioned here in this whole armor is actually a gift from God. You don't have to go out and earn it or make it happen. This breastplate of righteousness is the righteousness of Christ that he gives to you through faith as a gift. You are rendered righteous. So he says to put on and to stand in this righteousness that Jesus has given to you as a gift. And then in verse 15, he mentions this, and as shoes for your feet, having put on 
the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Um, This theme of peace is a significant theme in the letter of Ephesians, especially in chapter 2 and then at the beginning of chapter 4. What is he talking about? Ephesians 2 verse 14 tells us this. So instead of thinking about peace as this outside concept that God can give to you, he says it this way. um, Listen listen to this. As for you, excuse me, for he himself, Jesus is our peace okay so peace isn't something jesus pulls out of his pocket says here have a little peace is something that comes with his presence in our life so if i have jesus i have peace so peace isn't something i muster up i don't try really hard to be at peace i'm standing in something i already have because i have him and this peace is a peace with God, a, it's an internal peace, and it's also a peace with you. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians 4, Paul calls, calls the whole church, this is verse 3, to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So I have peace. I have peace with God and I have peace with you. If either one of those two things gets messed up, I don't have peace inside of here but I have Jesus, right? I have his presence. And so with that comes this peace and I'm at peace with God and I can be at peace with you. I can be at peace with you even when you're not at peace with me. Yeah, you don't get to mess with my peace. Sometimes I let you, right? Sometimes I let whatever's going on in your life disrupt my peace, but I have peace because peace comes with the person of Jesus in my life. He's saying stand firm in what you already have. Stand in the unity and the peace with one another that Jesus has given to you as a gift. The next thing he mentions in verse 16, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil. Remember, that's the battle. He's after you. You're feeling this this tension, this wrestling with evil forces or, or the devil himself. What is the shield? It's this shield of faith. Paul's talked quite a bit about faith. Ephesians 2, verse 80 tells us that's where our salvation comes from. But I want you to listen to how Paul describes the faith that saves us. In verse 8, he says, For for by grace you have been saved through what? Say it. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Remember this passive command? It's a command to stand in what you already have and what has been given to you as a gift. Even your faith in God is a gift. Be saved. How do you be saved? I positioned my life, according to the book of Ephesians, to hear and believe the gospel. I can't save myself. And so faith is a gift not only that Ephesians chapter 3 verse 12 says this in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him you find yourself in a spiritual struggle does God see me is he available to me where is God at it's your faith that gives you access and confidence and boldness 
Ephesians says it this way, it's a confidence and boldness to access the throne room of grace. That's your faith. And Ephesians 3.17 says this, so that, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love and so this idea that I am in Christ and he is in me it comes with this gift of faith I don't have to go find him I don't have to wonder if he can find me I have him he has me because I've been given this this gift of faith verse 17 the command changes to the word receive and take receive the helmet of salvation. And we just talked about that. How, are, how do you get salvation? Well, Ephesians 1 says, when you hear and believe this gospel of truth, you're saved. Ephesians 2.8 says, you're saved by grace through faith, and this is a gift. And so here we're being reminded to receive this salvation, which has already been given to us as a gift. You see that? You don't need to go out and get resaved or saved again. He's calling us to stand in what we already have. That's how we wrestle. And then he mentions here in verse 17. Not only do we receive or take the helmet of salvation, we receive the sword of the Spirit. What's the sword of the Spirit? I think he's referencing the Holy Spirit here which is the word of God. Now there is some teaching around these verses that talk about the defensive versus offensive weapons. I'm not gonna go there because I don't think that's what Paul means for us to do because his command is not defensive, offensive. It's what? It's stand. Get dressed and stand. So some will say, well, this is our offense and I think that I wouldn't say from this passage that's our our command, go out and use the Bible as your weapon. However, we do see in the pattern of Jesus, when he himself is out in in the desert being tempted, how does he combat, how does he wrestle with the devil himself? With the truth of God's word. So I don't take the Bible out as a weapon, flinging it at people, looking for devils to slay, but as I'm standing firm, Right? And, I, and, I, and I, I encounter this wrestling with evil. It is this word of God, this sword of the Holy Spirit that I use to stand firm. I don't have to go chase the devil down. I am called to stand firm. And when he comes at me, I have this word of God, this sword of the Holy Spirit. So like Jesus, when I am tempted, I can respond with truth. I can respond with truth. I can stand in the Holy Spirit, the word of God that Jesus has given to you and to me as a gift. So the command is to be strong and stand firm. How do we do that? We position ourselves in the gifts that God has already given us. The command isn't put on some of the armor of God, it's take inventory and make sure you've put on the whole armor of God. And once you've done that, here's the command, stand firm. Stand firm. He finishes here, 
with some more instruction, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert. Why should we keep alert? Because there's an enemy seeking to kill, steal, and destroy us and restless to the mat. Keep alert with all perseverance. Make supplication for the saints, this call to prayer. And also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Paul says, hey, don't forget to pray for me. Pray at all times in the spirit. Pray for what you need, supplication. Pray for the saints, pray for me. Verse 20, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. I'm gonna say this last piece about prayer. I don't know fully why it's not mentioned in the armor. Okay, I don't know why he didn't grab another piece of the armor and go, this is prayer. But my suspicion is, and my conclusion is this, prayer isn't just what we use in spiritual battles. Prayer is how we engage in God in our relationship. So we don't wait for things to get hard. We don't wait till we're pinned to the mat. Now, if you get pinned to the mat, pray. But we don't wait till then. We're praying at all times for all the things we need. Pray for the saints. Pray for Paul. Pray for you. Pray for what you need. Why? I go back to Ephesians 1. Because you are adopted as a son and a daughter and your dad wants to hear from you. And parents, we don't just want to hear when things get tough, right? Things get hard. Son, daughter, and you find yourself wrestling. Yes, please call me. I want to help. But listen, I want to hear from you more than just then. So maybe that's why it's not included in the armor. But there's this call at the end of the book of Ephesians to pray. And I would say this, because your father wants to hear from you. I want to land with a few questions for us to think about. As I ask these questions, I want you to really reflect on how God has spoken to you through the book of Ephesians and maybe even just really specifically today. And when you think about difficult circumstances that you faced in life, in difficult circumstances, what do you normally turn to first? Your own strength or the strength of the Lord? Do you go into hard circumstances trying to handle it on your own first and then come to God when that doesn't work? Or do you handle hard circumstances by just standing on what you already have? taking some inventory on the whole armor of God here. How's my faith? Am I walking in this righteousness given to me by Christ? Am I reminding myself of the salvation I already have? Have I put on this whole armor of God? Am I standing firm? Second question is this, and think about this. How have you encountered the schemes of the devil in your story? I'm not saying the devil made me do it every time, but you know the devil's going to capitalize on hard, time, on hard things every time. Even the things that are your fault. How have you encountered the schemes of the devil in your life, in your story? Think of it this way. How has he sought to destroy you through circumstances, relationships, and even within your own identity? Caused you to question yourself and who Christ is. Of the different elements of the armor of God, what is the most challenging part for you to receive? His gift of truth. Do you struggle with receiving it, believing it, anchoring your life to it? 
the gift of peace. Do you receive that as a gift? Are you able to, to be at peace even when those around you aren't? Or is your peace contingent on them? The gift of righteousness. Do you still question whether or not you're good enough to get into heaven? Do you still question whether or not you're good enough for God to love you? Or do you stand in the righteousness that Christ gave you? How about the gift of faith? Do you stand in that? Do you think about your belief and trust in God and see that as a gift that you can just stand in? So on those days when you're weak and you're feeble and you're not feeling on top of the world, you say, yeah, but I still got this faith. I feel like this faith is coming maybe from somebody else. Like I'm not coming up with it. Oh, that's right. It's a gift. It's a gift. Or is it the gift of his word, the sword of the spirit? Think about that. Of these different elements of the armor of God, what is the most challenging part for you to receive and to take up and to put on? And lastly, I ask you this. What can you do this week? What can you do this week to position yourself to be strengthened in the power that God desires to give you of all we've talked about this morning? It's like we talked about get wet, be wet. Why can't just be wet? I gotta go position myself somewhere where I can get wet. So what can you do this week to position yourself in these gifts of God that you might receive his power to stand firm? And maybe for you, we need to just encourage you to, to engage in your prayer life. Let's don't wait for things to get hard this week. See, see prayer as an invitation from your dad. He wants to talk with you. Maybe that's the step for you this week. Maybe it's a, it's a better understanding or just a more thorough time in his word. Like, I don't know that my life is anchored to truth because I don't really know the truth. So you would hear this as an invitation from the Father. Say, hey, will you open this with me this week? I don't want you to become smarter. I want you to know me better. And this is an invitation from your Father. Hey, come get to know me better. Get to know my voice better. What can you do this week to position yourself in the power that God desires to give you? And here's the command. After having done everything you can to stand firm, here it is, ready? Stand firm then. I'm gonna pray for us and then we are gonna uh, get to celebrate baptism together. So let's pray together. Let's think about how God's speaking to you this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your voice. Thank you for your spirit to interpret your words for us. Thank you for Jesus who has died, who has given us his presence, who has invited us to be in him and he in us. Father, thank you that you have ultimately won all battles, spiritual and otherwise. So as we engage in this wrestling match with these evil forces in the world around us, we do so with confidence and boldness because we know that you have already won that battle for us. Father, now I pray that we as a church, we could consider what does it look like for us as a church to stand firm, 
to not go out into the world wielding the Bible as a, as a, as a, as a, as a baseball bat to injure, but we would stand firm for what is true. We would speak what is true with gentleness and patience and endurance the way you describe it in the book of Ephesians. Father, that we individually would put on the whole armor of God and we as a church collectively could put on this same armor that we might be able to stand in the evil day. Father, we pray now your spirit would guide the rest of our service. Anybody here who doesn't know you, God, we pray you would draw them to yourself. God, even as I'm praying right now, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.